Hi, everybody, and welcome to Common Narrative. I am Crystal Haynes, and you know what we do here. Common Narrative examines the media's effect on public perception across all lines of diversity, and perhaps more importantly, we really go behind the headlines and unpack the civic and social issues affecting your life. According to the CDC, black women and women of color are much more likely to die due to childbirth-related complications than their white counterparts or suffer from medical complications. And we have a robust show, a lot of uh, three dynamic women that are gonna be joining us here today to talk about this particular issue. Uh, Representative Liz Miranda will be joining us in just a few minutes, but I'm also here with Dula Neka Hall and advocate Tamoria Queen Saba. Ladies, welcome to the show and thank you so much for, for, for uh, joining this conversation. Thanks very much, Crystal. This is Tamoria. Nice to be here with you today. Likewise. Thank you so much. This is Mecca. And, and so I wanted to, you all are joining me via phone. Uh, Representative Miranda will be coming into the studio here to talk to us as well. I, I want to start with, um, you know, I don't know if folks understand that this has been an issue for a very long time. The CDC put out numbers, uh, you know, more than two years ago when I began reporting on this. Um, Tamoria, you've been an advocate in this space. Uh, you have personal experience in this space. I wonder if you could talk to me a little bit about your background with this and, and your advocacy. And then, Nick, I'm going to bring you in into the conversation, ask you a couple follow-ups. Sure. So um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Tamoria McQueen Saba. I suffered a postpartum hemorrhage in April of 2010. And it was actually not until about three years later that I started to do the research on the statistics. And that's when I first learned that Black women die during childbirth or pregnancy complications at three to four times the rate of white women. And so that was a real turning point for me in which I decided to um, start to advocate for, for women who had experienced the same exact thing I did, both those who, like myself, lived through it and also those who unfortunately have, have tragically died. So in this advocacy space that you're in and you're talking about, I mean, do you find that folks are surprised when they hear these numbers at all? At this point, Crystal, it's like the jig is up, right? We, we, we know it by now. And I would say, sure, five to 10 years ago, it was very shocking. At this point, there's been so much media attention. There, there are people like myself, people like NECA, legislators like Representative Miranda and several others, both at the state and federal level across our country, who have been talking about the disparities in Black maternal health for years now, that now it's just a matter of people wanting to commit to actually implement the things that will bring about better outcomes. It's just, at this point, you know, there's, there's no more mystery to it. It's been researched. It's been studied. We all know what we need to do to fix it. It's now just a matter of making people do those things. Nick, I want to bring you into the conversation and talk a little bit about your experience as a doula and really trying to represent women of color in these spaces. What are you noticing? I'm noticing that we are still not being listened to. I'm noticing that our bodies are used, still being used to um, research purposes to find um, find out what you know to be, to be experimented on. I'm finding that 
oftentimes if you don't have a doula and you have melanated skin, your outcome is a lot different than it would be if you had a doula um, and a doula of color if you are a a person of color. Um, So many things that, there are so many things that happen in birth that you don't know about until it happens. So it's imperative, it's life-saving, not just in the prenatal space, but also in the postpartum space for you to have that support system in place, that doula, that familiar, that community support, um, so that if things do go south, um, your, verse, your voice can be lifted high. You know, according to the American Journal of Managed Care, healthcare providers say that, uh, you know, in terms of causes for all of the, the these outcomes that we're talking about here, right? In terms of causes, um, they want providers to account for social factors, looking to someone's health, trauma, stress, violence in their neighborhood, healthcare access. Number on the medical side, you know, cardiomyopathy, preeclampsia, eclampsia, hypertensive, uh, tensive rather disorders are all part of this conversation. But what about these interactions with doctors? Do you think really, uh, I guess, end up contributing to these rates that we're hearing about? I think not listening to yourself. We're taught at a very young age as, as black and brown people to trust our doctors. They have all of this education. So we're sort of given permission not to listen to our bodies, not to listen to um, what's innate within us. And that's the problem. If you know that something is going on within your body, but your doctor is telling you something different, and you trust what the doctor is saying, that's the problem. Always defer to your own experience, your own body, what you're feeling, what you're seeing. Um, And I think that has a lot to do with it. And and also, doctors are so medicalized. Um, They have book knowledge. They do research. And we're often not included in that research. Not enough of us. So when, when they, they have their findings and their outcomes, um, it's often not favorable for us, us meaning those members of the BIPOC community. I just wanted jump to in add on that. This. Oh, hello? I was saying, go ahead and jump in on this. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, the one thing that you didn't mention, Crystal, um, in the social determinants of, of health, was racism. And we know that, especially within the last year, racism has been declared a, a public health crisis, right? But what actual actions have we seen taken to address how racism in healthcare, um, you know, it, is, is addressed between providers, the system they work for, and, and, and with their patients? So what we've seen really is a bunch of organizations putting out statements. We haven't seen the same organizations actually saying, here's our statement, but this is also what we're doing as an organization or as a, even an educational institution, like medical schools. What are the steps being taken that will actually address this within 
these institutions where people are learning how to treat patients. It all starts with education because education in itself is a, is a social determinant of health. So if you're not being educated about different culture, and when I say that, I mean cultural humility as well as cultural competency. If you are not taking classes on anti-racism, if you're not even socializing with people who are different from you, how are you going to treat someone who comes to you without even having just the basic knowledge of what their background might be, their, their environment in which they grew up, how they were affected by that environment. And when I say that in particular to black and brown people, what I mean is the cumulative effect of racism over that person's life course, because all of that contributes to that person's health. And I want to bring into the conversation uh, Representative Liz Miranda, who is here, uh, you know, in studio with us here in Hyde Park. Welcome so much to the conversation. We were just having, you know, talking, uh, starting with um, Neka Hall, who is a doula and, uh, of course, advocate to uh, Tamoria Queen Saba. So welcome. Welcome into the studio here. Hello. Good to see you, Crystal. <laughs> feels a little slow right now. Sorry. And to Tamoria and Neka, my sheroes, how are you guys doing? Hi, Liz. Nice to hear your voice. They're the super cool queens, yeah. okay? I've learned a great deal in two years from them. Thank you. Well, well you know, Liz, I want to talk to you, or Representative Miranda, I want to talk to you about this legislation that you've really been championing uh, at the State House. And what you know when you start into any position you know you were new to the state house you had just gotten elected but this was one of your like number one agenda items that you really wanted to tackle black maternal health um saving black women um talk to me about why that was so important and why that was so high on your priority list it was two things one my first week um as a legisl legislator um i went to a march of dimes presentation essentially um, they told me all your zip codes basically have the poorest maternal health outcomes in Boston and also Mattapan and High Park. So I sat there in a room full of new women legislators. Um, the only other black person in the room was Rep. Nika um, Elugard. And um, we were devastated, right? Here's like another list where we're at the bottom. Right, it's not even bad enough that me and Nika gave 300% growth to the number of black women. So we had joined Rep. Um, Tyler. So then was the second issue. We're black women, hearing about black women. So when we left that room, we knew we had to do something. We didn't know what, but that was it. The second thing is I never knew what to call this. Right, and it brought me back to so many memories when I left the room, you know, because I felt defeated, and I was like, I don't, I'm not a doctor, I'm not, I'm not a doctor, I'm not an OBGYN. I was like, what can I really do to save, you know, women? I thought about my sister and realized that I had put in the back of mind um, before my brother was killed. A lot of people know this, but my sister gave birth to a baby that didn't make it, and. 
I hadn't thought about Mila in that whole time um, because I think it was just too painful, right? And then I thought about my friend who has a scar through birth trauma. And then my other friend who spent a small fortune uh, to get a doula because she was alone, right? She had broke up with her boyfriend and was about to give birth and was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I need help. But she has a good job. So she was able to get that doula. And then I thought about my mom who told me about the experience of giving birth to me as a teen. And then when she had my sisters, she couldn't advocate for herself. She didn't speak good English. So they made her get a C-section. So I think that for me, it was like divine purpose. It was like, you're going to do something. You're going to listen and learn and help to mitigate. Because I heard a little bit about what my sister said. And it's true. Government is as racist as any other system. And I'm a freshman. So they're like, who are they going to listen to? Right? And so that's what started the journey. So what do you think your representation means in terms of this conversation? Because when I started reporting on this like two and a half years ago, people were shocked. They were like, how was this happening? How do in the United States, in Massachusetts, do we have a maternal mortality rate that is worse than Uzbekistan? And so what do you think your representation matters to this group? A couple of things. I think the first thing was that it is a public health crisis and good is not good enough. Massachusetts has this crazy faux liberalism that kills me. We're very conservative, we're very moderate. We don't wanna talk about racism. It makes us uncomfortable. How can Massachusetts be racist? We have Senator Warren and Senator Markey, right? This is the whole energy. And so when I started talking about the issue, it was like, one, here's the data. Massachusetts is the leader in bio life sciences, entrepreneurial, we rival the West Coast, medicine, education, and even here in Massachusetts, we're not listening to black women. And black women are dying two times the rate of white women. That is unacceptable. I don't want to die. You know, I said in a bunch of my hearings that like, I'm not a mom yet. And I've thought a lot about my journey as a 40 plus year old woman about giving birth. And it's scary. It's scary for a lot of other reasons, right? But the fear to think about even here where we think we're the best, um, we're causing harm, lots of harm to black families. And that's period, point blank, right? And so what started the conversation was like, I wasn't gonna lower the barometer, right? It was like, yeah, you wanna start this commission, but that's not the only place we need to go. Because if there was any other group of people that were dying at the rate that we're dying, that the outcomes hadn't improved in 50 years, they're actually rising, right? So as medicine has improved and healthcare supposedly has improved, why is this um, demographic still suffering? And third, when I looked at the issues, how an educational background didn't matter, your zip code didn't matter, it didn't matter how much money you had, you know, and a lot of other social determinants of health, you see that, um, you know, Tamoria mentioned like, having more education sometimes will protect you from from certain things because you have the knowledge to be able to advocate for yourself. In this case, doctors who are black women doctors are going through the same thing as a young immigrant person in community. So I switched the conversation. It was like, this needs to happen. And I really wanna shout out these women because they work tirelessly after their trauma. And this is something that's important to acknowledge about black women. We work through our stuff 
and try to save everybody while we're trying to save ourselves. And then we still got to deal with the microaggressions. And so I dealt with a lot of microaggressions with the other legislators who were white. Um, and they didn't even realize what they were doing to me. They would often silence me and speak up in spaces. And I'd be like, hey, you, you're not going through this. When you leave this building, you're not worried about getting pregnant and passing away or someone in your family going through this. So the conversation really shifted. I do believe we have a lot more work to do, but it's one of the issues that I actually think most people in the state house are now finally understanding. What role do you think the media is playing in, in the perception around this and, and how can we do better? I think the perception in Massachusetts, it always happens elsewhere. And it was important for me when I did police reform to center black women's voices like Breonna Taylor and talk about how um, no knock warrants and see other use of force um, that is used by police departments across this, in this country are inherently violent to black women, right? And tie it with that maternal justice is also racial justice. You can't skip it. You know, you can't just talk about one issue and not talk about the other issue. And so I think the media, to be honest, other than you, um, and I think like some urban update, you know, when you think about City Line and Basic Black, the other media is just straight ignoring this issue. Um, they're ignoring the issue because they want to protect Massachusetts status, right? And the stories of the women who have lost their lives and birthing people is not on the front page of the globe. And I really think that what we could do better is that continue to talk about this issue and elevate it in every space. You know, it's important to be in community radio. It's important to be on 94.5. It's important to just be everywhere because if we're not, people then start to believe that we solve this issue with the commission. And that is not the truth. The commission is just the beginning of conversations and recommendations that are gonna be set forth to the legislature. So in a year when this commission's work is done, we still got to push legislation. We still got to be like, in Massachusetts, we got to change these policies and procedures. So I think elevating in all levels of media would be incredibly important. Now talk about that commission for folks who may not know what, what what's happening up at the State House. So uh, last year, uh, women like NECA and Tamoria joined forces with NARAL. And I would say about 20 to 30 other practitioners or people who cared about the issue and really pushed us on trying to get a maternal inequities commission. And this is one of the things that I learned. One is that uh, a lot of things are white women led, but then trying to center black women. And so we have some work to do in that. And I really wanna encourage, and they've already done this, but when we wrote the legislation, it was actually written for me. Um, we centered the public health chairs, and this is when we talk about leadership, they're both white women, right? And the commission is entirely it's like 99% black men and women. And we crafted that list and uh, it passed unanimously in the House and in the Senate, um, I think in January. We had a couple of months where we went through a lot of language changes, um, which was really sad for me, but I was trying to hold the line um, because one of the things that we heard from the lawyers, we have lawyers in the state house, particularly the Senate lawyers, who are constitutional lawyers, uh, they were saying that basically saying black and brown uh, specifically was going to cause basically the legislature to have a, a, a legal battle. 
And we went back and forth. We saw different places where there was Asian American, there were other demographics. And so the bill changed a little bit to say disproport communities that are disproportionately impacted of color, um, which we know that is the 20 minority majority communities we have in the Commonwealth. And so the commission has uh, people that were appointed. I'm appointed as a black and Latino caucus appointee. Um, I didn't even realize that I hadn't write my, I didn't even write myself into the bill. So when we were like calling people to say, hey, come join this commission, um, I was like, wait a minute, I'm not even on the commission. And, um, you know, people like uh, Charles Dane, Dr. Charles Daniels, Dr. Um, Charles Anderson, you have a bunch of folks, uh, NECA's on this commission, Tamoria's husband is on this commission. And I really believe that it, it was structured in the right way. Now we have only had one meeting, and so I'm really looking forward to the next meeting and creating these steering committees uh, because I want black women and black men to lead. And so I think that the work of the steering committees are gonna be really incredibly important to our work ahead. But basically we're charged with studying the issue, discussing the issue and coming up with recommendations over a year that we then can present to the legislature and say, we think you need to pass these bills, introduce these bills, uh, change these policies in state government. Uh, NECA and Tamori, I want you to come into the conversation here. What has this representation at the State House meant to the work that you've been doing? Well, for me, um, it's, it's, it's been interesting. I mean, I'm still trying to figure out my footing in that commission because I'm also, um, Tamori and I are both on the um, Ellen Story Postpartum Depression Commission. And, you know, we've seen how established, already established commissions run. And we're, within the, um, this commission, it seems like we're still trying to find our footing, hopeful that we can tackle some of the problems and collectively come up with tangible solutions. Um, and also um, to find out, you know, to see if any of them will be implemented. Um, a year isn't a lot of time, especially when, you know, you have other things growing and, and work and so on and so forth. So we are dedicating ourselves to doing this work and to looking at seeing what's going on in the Commonwealth. Um, how has this fully impacted my work? Um, you can ask me, ask me next year this time. Um, for me... For me, um, it's, it's exciting to see a group that is led by majority black and brown people. I think this is probably the first of its kind, and I hope that other states work to adopt something similar. Um, I hope that the legislators will also see that the commission um, should be something that continues beyond a year. Not, this should definitely not be a one-off. As far as how it affected my life, you know, my husband is on the commission um, as a person representing um, the spouse or, or partner of someone who survived uh, severe maternal uh, morbidity. And so what I think is, is great about that is that type of representation is that we, we rarely hear from the voice of survivors and especially their families. We also rarely hear from the voices of um, thousands, partners, and family members of people who died, of the women who died during a childbirth or pregnancy complication. So I think that 
it being a multidisciplinary group of people, I think incorporating now some, some newer voices is important. I also think that the, the tone needs to change from you know, always highlighting the deaf. You, broke up, you brought up the media earlier. And what I see a lot is so much focus on black death and little focus on black, black life. And that's very sad to me because that's what's making people so afraid. No woman should be entering into what's supposed to be a joyous time in their life, expecting that they're going to have a complication and possibly die. And so for me, I'm hoping that the commission is a first step towards a, a broader um, education publicly about what can we do to improve professional training for providers and also what can we do to provide patient education so that we can empower patients along their perinatal journey, right? All the way from conception through postpartum so that they understand their health, they're empowered to ask questions of their provider, and also if they don't feel comfortable with a provider, that they, they know that they actually have the choice to move on from a certain provider if they don't feel like they're being given the care they deserve. Do you also feel like oftentimes the pregnancy and birth experience is something that folks just don't talk about? And they, if, if they have a negative experience or if they, sometimes even a positive experience, it's just, you, there's not a conversation that's being had. And then a lot of times that allows these things to go unspoken about and also not addressed. I think that people talk a lot about birth when it's fun, right? We'd like to talk about baby gear and decorating the room and all the sort of the fun stuff because that's how we're conditioned as society. I think we all sort of have this vision of what birth and, and motherhood and parenthood is about. And when you experience something different, which can be mental or physical, right? Because we also understand that there's stigma around having a postpartum mood disorder and there's stigma around having something go wrong in a birth or even how we, we talk about natural birth versus having C-sections. I mean, you can go on and on and on. So I think that in general, when something is just different, we have trouble discussing it and discussing it openly. And so that's, that's another reason why um, this commission is so important. The work that Representative Miranda does publicly, that NECA does, that I do, and so many other advocates in this space do is so important because we're out here and we're saying, hey, we lived it or we, we know people who lived it. Not only did we live it, but we also came through it. We have the tools, we have the resources, these things exist, and you too can have access to all those things. And this is what I feel is such a huge contributor to disparities is that people literally don't know where to go for resources and support. They exist. I help people find resources every day for their perinatal health, both mental and physical whether they need a therapist or they need a good OBGYN. But so many people feel stuck or, like you said earlier, Crystal, afraid to, to talk about certain things. And I think we have to acknowledge, especially in Massachusetts, some of that can also be cultural. There's a lot of cultural barriers to talking about birth and, and mood disorders and all these types of things. Um, and so I think that it's important that this commission 
really get spoken about more publicly and also that we see them. You know, I would love to see a, a, a picture of this beautiful commission of black and brown people. I think that it's super important for people to see the visual representation of black people working in healthcare, for them to see black legislators focus on improving disparities and outcomes. So much of the work we do, I think a lot of people feel like this. You, you feel very visible, but you're actually invisible to a lot of people. Excuse and I'm sure me? that Liz and NECA can relate to that statement. Absolutely. So all, of, all of the work we do is so public, you know, but so many times you feel like, is anybody there? Does anyone hear me? Does anyone see me? And I think that patients feel the same way. And so imagine if people in Roxbury, Mattapan, uh, Hyde Park, Dorchester, saw this a picture of 30 black and brown people who are focused on uh, improving disparities and outcomes. What would that mean to those people? We've really got to now start to go out into the communities and let people know who's doing the work, where the resources are, and make sure they have access to those resources. And, you know, I was, I've, I've been hesitating, I've been waxing and waning uh, as we started this show and talking about this. But, you know, uh, I posted this on my social that I'm 29 weeks pregnant. Um, very excited. But I spent last week in the hospital because I had a complication to, due to a very common condition among black women called placenta previa. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the ambulance was called to my house because I had extreme bleeding. And I thought I did everything right. So I had an entire black care team. I like called all my resources and uh, to make sure I had the right folks in place. And when I was in the ambulance driving to the hospital, the paramedic said to me, what country are you from and do you have family members here? Mm. That was one of her first questions to me. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I was born in Springfield, Massachusetts. We go back about four or five generations in Western Massachusetts. Um, I'm from this country. I have been talking to you like this. This is how I sound. Um, and so it was, it was very, I was taken aback because I had thought of myself as a person where I had done everything right. I had set up mm -hmm. a situation where I thought I would not have experienced something like this. Mm -hmm. And then as I was in the labor and delivery um, floor, getting monitored and doing all these things, uh, they had given me a medication that had made me nauseous and the nurse handed me an alcohol, like an alcohol swab. And she was like, smell this, because this is like our quote unquote, ghetto way of uh, take anti giving you anti-nausea anti thing. And I, my husband and I looked at each other like, did she just say this? And then she's like, yeah, you know, this is like, it's a little ghetto, but it works. You know, girl. And I'm like, no, no, I don't know. Yeah. And so I was just so shocked by this behavior because I'm also surrounded by all these doctors that have pins that say Black Lives Matter on it and, mm -hmm. and all of these things. And mm -hmm. luckily, the doctor who had come in apologized to me and said that nurse has been taken off of your your service because mm -hmm. that was unacceptable. And that right. was a huge step. I thought that was a huge, that was a lot of progress, but it's just, I think the thing is you don't know, you're in this situation where you're completely vulnerable and I'm trying to access all of the information that I know about this topic and how right. do you manage this situation and how do I empower my husband to speak up and all of these things at once. But in that moment, you, you're just like, 
you either have two reactions where like like i said i'm from springfield you cuss her out or, <laughs> or you snatch just, away right, or you say nothing and and that's that's the tough situation yeah. about this is that yeah um how do, you know in that moment it's so hard to manage those those feelings and emotions and i think tamoria says something a couple uh our meetings ago where i really was was really understanding this was we're all resourced women. Somehow, either through learning or relationship building or networking or our positions that God has afforded us, we're able to find all this information, right? But I always think about the woman who isn't resourced, who can't advocate for herself, who looks at a doctor or a nurse as someone above them and therefore not able to say, I actually don't want you to be my nurse. I don't want you to be my doctor. And first, actually, I'm being remiss to say, are you okay? Are you okay, Crystal? Because I know that that must have been really scary. Yes, I'm I'm fine, yes. And the thing that I find about advocacy is that we always tell people that the way to, to root out racism is two ways. DEY, like, oh, you're going to have diversity and inclusion, a person doing some trainings. But it's fundamentally flawed on the second issue where people think, that we need to focus on implicit bias. The reason why implicit bias training does not work is because there are explicit mm -hmm. structural and systemic racism built into people. Yeah. And when Tamori was talking about structurally, it's in schools. And I wanna thank yeah. um, uh, Dr. Ebony Wilcock out of BMC. She's just transitioned to, instead of providing um, full-time sort of care, she's at BU Med School now changing the curriculum. That's where we need to go. You have to train people differently because they think it's okay. Mm -hmm. They think it's okay to think about black women's pain as that we can always suffer through everything. We can handle it. And the strong black woman myth is actually killing us mm -hmm. because we don't get the same type of compassion or empathy or to be like, you know, actually, if you're feeling nauseous, what would you like? to what do you normally take or what would you like to do to show you that respect and care she's like oh just sniff this because you know it's the getaway you know what i mean like and so we have a lot of issues to work through but i think it's we're on the right path and i just want to say to you it takes a lot of courage you know i didn't realize motherhood to me was something pretty babies or when tomorrow was talking about decorating a room and neka was talking about like the joys i really didn't realize like it is actually one of the hardest things you can go through. And we don't often put attention on the fact that black women, immigrant women, other women of color living in certain socioeconomic communities that don't get the attention that they need are facing surmountable odds just to give birth, mm -hmm. just to give birth and have healthy babies. The other side of this issue, we talk about the maternal piece, but we have an infant issue as well. Our babies are uh, seven times likely, more likely to come out with lower birth rates. Even here, uh, we have, when people talk about babies being preemies all the time in our community, I know so many of my friends, oh, my daughter was a preemie. That is a problem. You know, why is our babies being born two to three months ahead of schedule? What's happening in our, in our, our backgrounds? And that's why we also need this femur bill, which is an infant mortality review because these babies mean stuff to their families. Mila means something to my family. And the fact that my sister gave birth and they just told her where to bury this child without any type of data or counseling mm. or anything is just wrong. And it's only happening to black and brown women. It's only happening to us because other women get this out of care and compassion and support system. But when it happens to us, people are like, you can handle it. Mm -hmm. Well, we can't handle it. We need your help. You know? Absolutely.
neck and tamoria is there anything you want yeah go ahead the ad is um i came to this work because my daughter died at 39 weeks gestational age and i was told these things happen and then of course i did my own research and found you know about the out about the disparity but then i also found out about this thing called a doula now let's go back to your experience without adding the trauma portion of it you asked what could your husband say or do he should have dialed your doula because your doula should have met you at the hospital and and sort of been that person to explain everything that was going on and to give you the recommendations on how things should have gone um my my second to last client as a birth doula gave birth last night and I have one more to go and then I'm retiring as a birth doula in June um gave birth last night after a prolonged labor experience I knew yesterday morning that she needed a C-section but oh we can do this we can do this we can do this and then you know at the end of the day um things happened and you know and everyone had to rush and you know you have to listen to your body and you also you know you hire a doula and you have to listen to your doula because they're trained to be that buffer between the medicalization of birth and to support you spiritually mentally and physically they can do, we can do the things that doctors won't do or aren't trained to do um so if you don't have a doula I can recommend several for you who will walk this journey with you and and give you good feedback on how to progress. Um I became a doula because my daughter Anaya died. Once I learned what a doula did, I could have used a doula. She was healthy. You know, but I wasn't. You know, I did not know that I wasn't healthy at the time. My body told me that I was not healthy and when I went back to the doctor, they said it was all in my head. and at the end of the day i had preeclampsia that was missed so if she had not died when she did at 39 weeks i wouldn't be here sitting sitting here talking to you today so this is why i advocate for others and this is why i i, I get angry and, and yell sometimes and tell people off a lot more times than than i should because there are mothers and there are babies who are dying loss of a of baby changes you it changes you emotionally the blinders come off to everything you know the sanctity of birth is so precious that we should be able to preserve that 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 feeling and we also need to stop you know those of us who have given birth none of us were superheroes so we need to stop telling those superhero stories and making our family and friends feel inferior because they have a, they're having a different experience You know, there is no I don't know if you guys remember back and I know I'm I'm older than all I think all of you. Um but remember when Lucy gave birth to Desi Jr and and she was sitting pretty fully um you know makeup made, hair laid and everything else holding a baby that looked like a burrito. Um that's not the reality of childbirth. So we need to show the reality of childbirth and educate people on how to survive and thrive. during the prenatal and postpartum period. 
I'm also thoughtful about if with the Biden administration declaring, you know, maternal uh, maternal health week, that was uh, last month in April, and there being a national focus on this, of course, Representative Ayanna Presley, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, she also helping shed a national spotlight on this. Do we think we'll be able to move the needle forward in terms of resources and things like that? I mean, Liz, do you think that this is going to be helpful? Yeah, I first want to thank the the maternal caucus. So the, one of the first steps that they did, and that's why I'm so excited about what can potentially happen in Massachusetts, is they created at the federal level in Congress, a black maternal health commission. And because of that, they were able to bring all of their expertise, including uh, with Dr. Laura Young Underhood, I think that's her name, Underhood, um, Underwood, sorry, my apologies, and bringing that expertise about all their different states and the issues that were happening across this country. Because although black women die, made two times the rate of white women here, that's old data, right? But in some places like the Mississippi Delta or in some cities like New York City, um, it gets four to eight times higher, right? And so what they did is they compiled all their data and knowledge and was able to push a suite of bills to the Biden-Harris administration to say that we have these 12 issues. We, we're working on veterans. We're working on uh, postpartum coverage, which is another one of my bills. Why do we only cover people for 60 days when we know birthing families need a whole year of coverage? Um, they have work around the environmental factors. That's what COVID taught us too, was that our environmental pollution that is causing us in some communities like Roxbury to pass away 30 years before um, people who live in the back bay, just five bus stops away, is telling us that the air, land, and water pollution that we've faced and degradation really and environmental injustices is, is helping us. So they are leading the way in inspiring states. And I think the most important thing that they did with the postpartum coverage, which I believe is, is going to be voted out favorably, they already um, discussed the veteran bill part of the 12 bills. You can look it up. It's the momnibus bill. I'm hoping that we get something like that. I probably wouldn't call it a momnibus bill because I don't think that's incredibly inclusive to all uh, birthing people that are going through these experiences together. But to look at really understanding that we need all of those bills passed. When Tamori talked about this issue, this is the long game. This is the marathon that Nipsey Hussle talked about. This is not going to be a sprint because we're changing Massachusetts you know, history is almost 400 years old in terms of what they've been teaching white men about power and superiority and supremacy mm. that we just got introduced. You know, I'm one of only 14 black women who have ever served in 385 years in this entire body. Mm. There's still only four black women at the state house out of 200 legislators. So we're, we're fighting upstream. Um, but the Momnibus bill, you can find it online. Um, I've learned a lot from it and I've inspired, I've been inspired about issues that I didn't even think about in terms of legislation. Now I have three bills. We sit on this commission and this is the most beautiful thing. When I got appointed as a commissioner, just walking into the room, you scan a room a lot. And I'm like, okay, they're the sisters. I, I, we, we about to have a trifecta here. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be able to talk about things and be in certain rooms where they may not. And they're in spaces where they are and I can't be there um, authentically. And so they can bring back stuff to me. And so these two commissions should be working in tandem. That way when this commission meets and I took, I took note of what they said and I'll definitely go back um, to the public health chairs to talk about one, how do we market this commission better? And then two, how do we actually extend it from a temporary 
commission in law to actually say we actually until this issue is solved and we see uh, morbidity addressed in the way that we want to, which we get to zero, mm. maybe this commission should stay on. And let's talk for a second. And I, I, I'm sorry, but I have to put this in there. We're talking about extending postpartum care for a year, which is wonderful. But we also have to look at some of these comorbidities are life-changing. And they last until the person perishes later in life. Um, there are some of the comorbidities, such as the, the heart disease aspect, um, you know, that people don't look at. Um, they don't look at the longevity of these comorbidities, many of which can be prevented. Um, and that's another reason why everyone needs to, especially if you have melanated skin, needs a doula. Uh, Tamoria, you know, I know you've been working on this. I mean, what do you think about this idea that there is, a, a, you know, a national push on all of this? And how do you think it's going to affect the work? For me, it's all just a bunch of fluff and nonsense unless real actions are taking, taken on professional training and patient education. So just like in medical school, imagine if, um, or anything, right? So just imagine if you only had to take one class on heart and heart disease to become a cardiologist. Is that sufficient? So... You're going to go and serve patients for a lifetime, and perhaps you've never taken an anti-racism class, a cultural competency course, nothing. And when I say class or course, I mean something that's longer than an actual uh, one-timer, one lecture here and there, one little workshop here and there. That's not going to get it. What I'm looking to see and what I feel like is going to bring about true change in all this, really turn these disparities around, is when... The institutions and professional organizations that actually accredit and give doctors credentials, right, and all these things, when they actually take the step to say, you will not receive this degree, you will not get a credential from us, you won't have a certification or license from us, unless you take this mandatory course, like semester, two semesters, whatever it is, and pass it right? Demonstrate that you actually have absorbed this material um, in order to uh, be a provider who can live up to, to the do no harm um, statement. And so for me, it's, it's just been witnessing so much of what I would feel like is this, this woke advertising this last year and a half, because mm. for people like me and Netta, We've been living it for more than a decade, and we know people have been living it longer, right? With advocates all over the world, we've, we've seen it all, we've heard it all. And so this last year and a half, it's just statement after statement, declarations of uh, a racism being a public health crisis. But what actual actions have been taken? I haven't seen any organizations or um, schools come out and say, you know what? Yes, we issued this statement, and now it's mandatory at, you know, whatever medical school that all of our residents, they have to take anti-racism training all the way through their training, or they don't graduate. That, to me, is a real step. 
when you go for, um, you know, as you go on through your through schooling, whether you are a mental health therapist or someone who is a provider of, of physical health care, you still have to in, improve upon that. So you, you take, the, you know, you go for CEUs, you take professional trainings every year for certain things. But somehow it's okay to be a provider and not have any education about racism. And in particular, I think it's important to study racism where you actually live. One of the common misconceptions, and I love that Liz brought this up earlier, is that, um, you know, racism is somehow contained to just a few states and most of them are in the South. And I'm a person who moved to Massachusetts from, um, from another state. And so for me, I can honestly tell you that Massachusetts is one of the most racist states I've ever I've been in in my life. I've experienced more racism in Massachusetts than I have in any other state. Um, and there is this faux liberalism, this faux wokeness. And the reason why it's faux is because it's never followed up by giving black and brown people the actual opportunity that they need to, to make changes. So one of the most perfect examples of what Representative Miranda brought up about the commission and how it is made up of, you know, 99% of the people are black and brown, but the leadership is white, right? The co-chairs are white. And so what does that really, really say, right? Do, we, do, do the black need some sort of overseer to what they're doing? You know, so, you know, for me, this is all about when you're actually going to give people an opportunity to lead, make sure that that leadership is represented all the way through. From It needs to trickle from, from every part of that, not just a little bit here and there. Because it is so important that to solve this issue, that black and browns are represented on the legislative side, the advocate side, the patient side, the family side, because we're the ones being most affected. And then I also want to ask about, you know, in our last five minutes that we have here in the show, how do we want to empower people from this conversation? You know, a common narrative likes to give folks a toolkit. Um, what can we do moving forward? What what are the, the concrete steps we can do moving forward to not only help Liz, you and your work, Tamora, you and your work, NECA, you and your work, What or folks helping their own situations? And Liz, I'll start with you. The first is continue to have this conversation in community, um, whether it's houses of worship. You know, I'd love to see all the sort of major churches, like in my community, we have three Catholic parishes. When we looked at the data of 02122, which is a largely Cape Verdean community, we noticed that the birth outcomes are also um, not as positive as we'd like to see it, even though there's a community health center there. So I would love to keep continuing this conversation, uh, whether it's two people, 10 people, 100 people, keep using Zoom or doing them now that we are vaccinated more um, in community and with organizations that know the community. The second is to build the, the, the advocacy side, right? I am a member of Del Sigma Theta. I've talked to my sorority, I've talked to other sororities, Black women and black families live everywhere in the Commonwealth. 
And therefore, they need to be talking to their legislators to make this issue a priority. It's not just about calling uh, Rep Tyler, Rep Alugarda, Rep uh, Fluker Oakley, or myself. It's about calling the white man that uh, is your representative that you voted for and saying, I don't know if you know that this is a big issue. The Maternal Inequities Commission's passed, but that's just the beginning. I want you to pay attention to this issue because Randolph is faced with this. Brack Brockton is faced with this. And the third thing I think we can do is when you talk about the toolkit, uh, most of the people in my community often don't even see their doctor or or what you would call a PCP um, when they're ready to give birth, even with an OBGYN, until they're ready to give birth. Most of the care is done in community health centers. And community health centers are underfunded, undersupported. They have staff turnover very quickly. Um, and so if that's where most people are getting their care, I think we can immediately work with the um, the mass agency that covers the community health centers and have a real conversation with these other hospitals, um, their parent hospitals, about reinvesting and investing more um, in how we're actually treating those community health centers because folks need access. Um, the last thing I'll say is that we have birthing deserts all over Massachusetts, particularly um, the South Shore and in Woodrow County. Um, Holyoke also is another place where they just closed a whole birthing wing. And so if people want to give birth in their community and they have to drive an hour away, you know that's going to impact outcomes. And so we need to be elevating this conversation about birthing deserts. Um, I'll definitely share some resources. I was just on an event a couple of weeks ago with Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, and the chapter created a resource booklet. It's not complete, but it was a really good start to being like, if you want to know who the experts are on this issue, here's where you go. Nika and Tamoria, what are, what are some things that folks who are listening right now can do? Well, I think it's important to, you know, just right off the bat, you know, don't be afraid to reach out to us, right? You know, I think that sometimes people, they don't know where to go. They don't know what to do or who to ask. So I would just put it out there. It's okay. You know, um, send me a PM or an email. I'm more than happy to try to figure out how to help you. But I think beyond that, you know, we really have to think about uh, who is represented in the state and, and how they're represented. And so when we look at some of these communities, I'll take Mattapan quickly for an example, where we know there's, you know, it's like 88% are Haitian immigrants. You know, we have to think about the fact that there are cultural barriers, language barriers there. And, you know, there's, there's not going to be a large majority of people who feel comfortable questioning um, providers. Um, they're not going to know um, who to call um, for resources or support. And they're also not going to necessarily be aware of who their, their legislators are and how to contact them. And so when I look at an opportunity, I think about a place like Mattapan and Mattapan Community Center and how... You know, it's up to, you know, to, to, to us as advocates, and I would say also to, to the community and, and legislators and providers to all work together to see how, how can we empower communities where we see these types of barriers, um, give them these resources, which obviously, right, they have to have resources that are translated in their language. They have to, um, you know, have some sort of information presented to them, which makes sense to them. Um, in a way that they can accept it both for, for health reasons, but also we have to take into account their culture. I think sometimes, you know, 
we might sit from our soap soapbox a little bit because we see things as being easy to to solve. Um, oh, if you just do, you know, these steps, you know, one, two, three, this is how you can empower yourself. But it's not that it's not that easy. It never is. You really have to go into the community, talk to these people one on one, put the actual resources and support in their hands. Because not everybody has internet access or mobile phone access like we all do to easily just hop on and, and um, be able to do these things. So I think it's going to require a, a lot of legwork. And I mean that, I mean, really mean legwork, but I mean that physically. And I think that's okay. I think there's ways to do it. And I think those ways have to be really looked into because I think that's the most realistic solution um, to, to this, especially for communities where we're seeing the greatest disparities in our area. Neka, you have the final word here. Well, it's time for birth to be given back to the community. We need to teach our communities to be communities again. It was a time when the entire community supported the birthing person. Um, so we, as um, Rep. Miranda said, you know, she was mentioning churches in her area. Let's go back to the churches. You don't have to be a member, but let's, let's go back to the churches and have these conversations. Um, I started an a small organization called Mother Ruth's Kitchen last September, and that's based out of Charles Street Annie Church. Let's pop up more of these Mother Ruth's Kitchens to support our birthing people, provide the added needed, take some of the stuff off of their table, um, you know, so that they know that they're fully supported during their postpartum period. And also learn more about Mother is Supreme postpartum care learn more about the, the opportunity, um, what a postpartum care center would look like and what that would mean to our birthing people. All right, ladies, I want to oh, thank you so much for spending some time with me. Representative Elizabeth Miranda Dula, NECA Hall, and advocate Tamoria Queen Saba. Thank you so much for being on Common Narrative. And I also want to invite you all to come to commonnarrative.media, our website, where we post these shows again. If you miss any part of it, that is there, and there's a lot of resources. We're also going to be posting resources on our advocacy toolkit page on commonnarrative.media. You can also follow us on social, Twitter, Narrative Common and on Facebook and on YouTube, where you'll also see uh, this episode as well. And those are at Common Narrative Media. For now, I'm Crystal Haynes, Common Narrative on Spark FM every Sunday at noon. And remember, knowledge is power and power is change. We will see you next time.